And they talked about the God delusion. So a couple guys had gotten together and talked about it and laid some things out and just opened up for discussion. So um, that opportunity is here on occasion. But yeah, um, with some of the new atheist stuff, there's plenty of of, uh, commentaries online that you could get responses to some of that. I would would definitely recommend not just reading them on your own, uh, but getting access to some of the evangelical responses uh, the God delusion, for instance, another Oxford philosopher, theologian, uh, Alistair McGrath, has his own response. He and his wife wrote a response, response, and they simply titled it The Dawkins Delusion. And it's very good. Basically, Richard Dawkins is a good scientist, but he's a lousy philosopher and theologian. Uh, I think uh, Alvin Plantinga, uh, a major evangelical philosopher, uh, at Notre Dame currently basically said, if one of my sophomores turned in a paper like that, I would reject it. It's just bad philosophy. <laughs> Richard Dawkins likes to make assertions that he, he believes are self-evidentially true. <laughs> and that's usually not good philosophy. <laughs> Other questions? Wow, I've, I've answered everything. Everything is crystal clear. Getting done here this morning. <laughs> well, they're coming on. Str- the question is: Is Darwin really on the ropes? Is there? Is it really limited time? Well, they're coming on strong because they have to. They have to. They realize. I think they realize there's a real threat. Um, there's a nice statement, uh, by the way. Um, Access Research Network, their website's very simple, arn.org. I think that's, do I have that one up here? No, I don't. Um, Access Research Network is just arn.org. And they're a great website for, it's kind of like a clearinghouse for intelligent design stuff. And what I'm I'm getting at here is that they have uh, a series of T-shirts, coffee mugs, other kinds of stuff with, sloganistic stuff on them. They've, they've got a... Uh, there was a comment by an evolutionist in a book criticizing intelligent design where he cast the debate in the Roman and barbarian context and he said, the Visigoths are at the gate and we need to rally, you know? And uh, and some of those guys at ARN started thinking about that. Well, you know, that's... That's not all that bad. Yeah, he's trying to paint us as barbarians, but when you ask who won, Visigoths won. Rome lost. Rome fell. So maybe that's not so bad. So there's T-shirts now with with, uh, um, barbarians attacking the gates of Rome and the barbarians are all given intelligent design context and concepts names and the guys in in Rome are the ACLU and and, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, But on the back of the T-shirt is a comment from Mahatma Gandhi. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win. In the previous 30 years, they didn't fight much. They didn't bother. They just didn't think that the creationist movement had much to go on. They had much legs when the Supreme Court decision, 87, came down. Creationism outlawed in the in the public schools were there. 
But this intelligent design thing has got them worried. Um, there's, a, there's a joining of forces here. There's uh, progress. They've got a list of over 800 scientists now at Discovery's website, discovery.org, um, and the CSC that I list there. Um, PhD scientists who are skeptical of Darwin. And they used to make fun of it when it was just 100. I was one of the first 100 to sign it. I was privileged to be one of those. Um, but uh, now it's over 800. The Darwinists don't talk about it anymore. They don't make fun anymore. Because uh, there's at least twice that many that can't sign it. If they did, their careers would be in jeopardy. They have to remain silent about it. We tell graduate students now all the time who are in the life sciences, don't even talk about intelligent design. Don't even talk about evolution. Don't express any reservation. We tell them that. Because they will be singled out and their careers terminated and they'll find some excuse to get you out and you won't even, you won't even get your degree. If you're a uh, untenured professor, you've got your degree, but you're untenured, be very, very careful. Careers have already been ruined. People have been denied tenure simply because that's what the movie Expelled was about. Some of those people were interviewed um, and... And then when it comes, they try to hide it initially, but eventually it comes out, yeah, it's because the guy promoted intelligent design. It's, more important to claim the truth or it's a good question. When I was in graduate school, the heat wasn't this hot. And I, told, I didn't hide anything. Um, and I maintained that position that I thought that was the, really the best way to go. Um, what I say now is that don't bring it up unless you're asked. Don't make an issue of it. If you're asked, don't lie. You know, if they know you go to church and they, they somehow figure out you're a Christian, they should be able to figure that out, you know. But, and they may ask about it. Well, don't lie, but be prepared. It might not be pretty. Yes, sir. The evolutionary explanation of DNA. It happened. I'm serious. There, the, the language content of DNA is the biggest evidence for intelligent design. DNA is a language, plain and simple. And even if you follow Darwin's logic, his, his logic was to say we ought to limit our ideas of origin to processes we can see happening today. Even in geology, that was the idea. Just processes we see happening today, that's what will explain all the sedimentary strata, all the fossils. Well, if you want to approach DNA as a language, the only process we see happening today that can account for that is an intelligence. It's an informational code. That's the only place informational codes come from is an intelligence. So if you want to even follow Darwin's own prescription, what's the process we see happening today that leads to codes? Intelligence. We haven't seen any natural process do that. Uh, when they maintain that it just happened that way, they don't have a choice, because for many of those atheistic Darwinists, their worldview depends on there being just natural process. So there has to be something, some way to explain it. It happens somehow. Why? Because it's here. Now, they don't see that as a philosophical conclusion. They think that's science. And that's part of the big problem. They don't see the impact that the naturalistic worldview is having on all of their scientific decisions and observations. 
to them, science, since, it, since it's a self, quote, self-correcting process, if you're wrong, science will figure it out. But how are we ever going to figure out that we're wrong, that DNA just came about by chance? How, how are you going to go back and figure that out? You're making a philosophical decision. But they just don't see it that way. They really think science has explained all our mysteries so far. It'll explain this eventually. That's, that's philosophy. That's not science anymore. But they don't, they don't understand that. Uh, in my entire graduate uh, school experience, I was never even, it was never even suggested to me to take a philosophy of science course. The problem we have today, and, I, and I've, I said this at the Tuesday night um, Quest Q&A time, and there were a couple of grad students there, down, and they, they agreed with me afterward, yeah, you got it right, <laughs> is that what we are doing today, we're, we're turning out PhDs. The, the, the idea, the, the title is, Doctor of Philosophy of Biology. You're a doctor of biology. You don't know any philosophy. It used to be that way, but not now. What we're doing is graduating highly qualified technicians. That's, that was my experience. We know how to do the experiments. We know how to um, interpret the results. We know how to generate what the next experiment should be. You're a technician. This is not, this is not deep thinking here. Yeah, it's complicated. And it's difficult. The terminology alone is, is hard to know and understand. So, it's, yeah, you still have to be pretty smart to do it. But it's not philosophy anymore. They don't know philosophy. We don't know, we're not even suggested to understand any of that. So it's understandable that many of these bio, biological scientists really think they're just making a scientific conclusion about evolution. The question he just asked. How do you explain the language code of DNA coming about through a natural process? All our experience says you're, it requires intelligence. You're going against the grain. And, and to me, that's the place, if you want to just not necessarily stop the discussion, but throw something out that's not going to be easily responded to, that, that's the best one. Yeah. Yeah, the fine-tuning of the universe is still a major piece of evidence. Um, the Privileged Planet is a film that deals with that um, and does so very well. Uh, there are uh, Lee Strobel in his case for a creator. Both the book and uh, the film has, a, has an interview with Robin Collins that talks specifically about the fine-tuning argument. Uh, so that's still a major... Uh, Hugh Ross talks about it all the time. That's a major aspect of his uh, apologetic... So, yeah, that's still a major point. Did you have a question? Yeah, that's what they say. That's the, that's the anthropic principle at its, at its worst. Let me uh, just show you one thing here. I've got a couple of minutes. These are calculations from... Hugh Ross's Reasons to Believe site updates this calculation periodically. This was still from about a year ago. There are numerous parameters that make that life needs, and each of them has a probability. For instance, you got to have enough water. You got to be the right distance from the sun. You got to have the right kind of moon. You got all these things have to fit together in a just right uh, factor. And each one of those has a probability alone of happening by chance. They now say there's about 322 parameters to our universe, galaxy solar system and planet that all have to converge together for life to exist, complex life. The probability of all of those when you multiply them together is one chance in 10 to the 282nd. 
which is one chance in, in one followed by 282 zeros. Okay? If you understand scientific notation. Or 10 to the minus 282nd. Now, if we assume there is one planet per star, and the current estimate is that there's about 10 to the 22nd stars in the universe, okay? That's 10,000 billion billion stars. That's a lot. The final, if one planet per star, and I think that's pretty generous um, from what we've discovered so far, the final number of planets in the universe is the same. You would take that number of planets suitable for life, you take that number, 10 to the minus 282nd, multiply it by the number of potential planets, 10 to the minus 260 or this number. That's how many planets would be suitable for life in the universe by natural process alone. How many planets is that? It's kind of less than one. Yeah. So when they bring up this kind of number, the only escape that they really have is to suggest that, okay, this is just one universe. Yeah, it, of course we're here. So of course, somehow we beat the odds, we're here. Right? So the only way they can have the odds in our favor is to say that we're just one of an infinite number of universes. And there are universes popping into existence all over the place. And this just, we just happen to be in the one that was suitable for life, and yeah, we're here. So it looks like we're, the odds are really small. They say, well, no, wait a minute. How do you know there are other universes? You can't know that. There's no way we could ever get outside the parameters of our physical universe to detect something else out there, to get to the edge. It, it just can't happen. It won't happen. That is a philosophical escape hatch. <laughs> There's nothing scientific about that conclusion at all. If you have an infinite number of universes, well, of course, there can be one that's this unlikely that exists but we have absolutely no scientific evidence at all that there are such other universes. It doesn't happen. Oh, the, yeah, the young age, if you, if you go to AIG, AnswersInGenesis.org, AnswersInGenesis.org, spell it all out. Um, and they've, one of their main funding uh, prospects is, is literature, is, is selling books. Tapes, videos, DVDs, all sorts of stuff. And they've got, they've got a lot of stuff on the flood. It's young age. It's all young age stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you have anything from a progressive standpoint? Not really. Hugh Ross is working on a flood model, uh, a local flood in Mesopotamia. Uh, I don't think he's published anything yet. I don't think anything is in, is in print. I just put this cartoon up there. It's just kind of fun. You, know, you all remember Calvin Hobbes, don't you? Calvin says, you know, I don't think math is a science. I think it's a religion. A religion, says Hobbes. Yeah, all these equations are like miracles. You take two numbers and, you, and when you add them, they magically become one new number. No one can say how it happens. You either believe it or you don't. This whole book is full of things that have to be accepted on faith. It's a religion. To which Hobbes says, and in the public schools, no less, call a lawyer. And Calvin responds, as a math atheist, I should be excused from this. Well, it is 1145, so thank you very much and appreciate your time.